Alright, hello and welcome into another episode of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. And as you can hopefully tell, I am not Cade Webb. Um, my name is Joel Penfield. I've done. I've been at the site for about three years now. Did the two-minute drill last year. I've co-hosted with uh, the site with Dustin as well. Uh, but with Cade's new job, he was no longer able to make the commitment for the podcast. And Dustin is uh, working over at Pistols Firing Blog now. We've got a great opportunity there. So best of luck with him moving forward. So I will be the main host of the podcast now. And I'm joined by longtime contributor uh, to not only Cowboy Drive Free, but Pistols Firing for a period of time, Philip Slavin. Philip, how are you doing? Doing well, sir. Doing well. How are you today? I'm doing great. We're getting that much closer to football. We're four days away now, recording on Sunday. And uh, it's it's an exciting time that you know it's been a long off season. We're finally back, ready for uh, ready for some football. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> it's it's been uh, way too long. It's been way too long. It always is, but it, it feels worse once August hits. Really, once that NFL preseason starts, that's when it it really starts to get to me because I see football and all I want to watch is football that matters. But I'd rather watch college than NFL. Yes, absolutely. I'm with you. I've tried watching the preseason, and quite frankly, it's just painful. I, I just I can't do it. So, thankfully, we're we're four days away from Oklahoma State, and then we are now six days away from a full slate of college football for 12 hours. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great time with a three day weekend as well. Oh, absolutely! I can't wait. All right, so let's just dive right in. So basically, how we're gonna run the podcast now, instead of doing an hour long episode once a week. Philip and I are going to try and do two 20 to 30 minute episodes a week, get a little bit more content with, you know, without too much time being taken out of your day to listen. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive right in now. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the depth chart that was announced uh, on Friday at uh, Coach Gundy's press conference. And Philip, did you have really any thoughts about anything you saw, anything out of the ordinary or something you're excited to see uh, come Thursday? Other than being really jealous that Kinsey the dog was there and I didn't get to pet yeah, that, that I was very jealous. I couldn't be there. Uh, apparently, she wasn't taking questions, which was a little bit disappointing. Um, a couple of things that, that I found interesting. One was on the offensive line. You know, Last year, you had two really good offensive linemen in, in Marcus Keyes and Larry Williams, who are now no longer both listed as starters. They're listed as or, with Shane Richards taking over at right guard as the starter. I, I, I didn't expect to see somebody else um, at that position. I'm really shocked, too. But what that tells me is that Gundy's not just making things up and blowing hot air when he's saying this could be the best offensive line we've had in five, six years. Yeah, easily since, since Wickline. Wickline left. Yeah, easily since Wickline left. But I think that the, the more fascinating thing for me about the offensive line is that you're two to three deep at each spot with guys that they are willing to throw in even freshmen. And I think that says a lot about what Josh Henson's done in the last year, in the last year or two. I mean, he was... He's done so much for the program since he got here, and to have that sort of depth is impressive, especially with how often offensive linemen can get hurt. They have that many guys they're willing to throw in there that they think can can protect uh, Taylor Cornelius. Yeah, the other thing that I was intrigued by, you know, this new four-two-five defensive scheme secondary is so important. You've got to have speed, you've got to have talent, you've got to have a lot of bodies. You need a good two deep, and. I, you know, Oklahoma State's done a really good job of getting graduate transfers transfers to come into the program and not just play, but make big impacts, be big parts of the team. And I think it's Kema Siverand, who transferred in from Texas A&M, is listed on the two deep. I mean, the guy just got here. He got here in fall camp and is already on the two deep. I think he's going to have – he's got – 
two years the program is going to have, which is exciting. But I think he's going to have a really big impact by the end of the season. I, I'm really excited to see what he does. Also, can we talk about how bad is the situation at Texas A&M if you're willing to take 25 credit hours in one summer just to get the heck out of there? That has got to be one of the most brutal things I've ever heard in my life. Like, I'm taking 18 hours right now as a student at Oklahoma State, and that's hard. But I can't, and that's over 16 weeks of a semester. I can't imagine taking that many short courses that are like three to four weeks in a two-month period. That's just mind-boggling. But that tells you enough about maybe what's possibly going on there at a and Not trying to speculate. However, that could be a major problem. Yeah, throw in the fact that you've got to keep up with your athletics and keep your you know body up to par to be able to compete while you're doing 25 credit. I would, I, I mean... I'm 33 now. I would die. Like, <laughs> 25 credit hours and play football. No, thank you. No. I'm just going to go way down in my coffin and, and be done. Yeah, I'll cut, I'll cut my losses on that one. <laughs> but no, for me, I think the, the interesting part was, you know, obviously Oklahoma State has four running backs in Justice Hill, J.D. King, L.D. Brown, and then Chuba Hubbard, redshirt freshman, highly touted just because of his insane speed. So I, my assumption was that, yeah, he may not get a ton of reps and carries, you know, obviously having – great running backs ahead of him, but to not see him on the depth chart at all for kick return and punt return. To me, that's really interesting, but that also maybe says how much maybe Gundy cares or doesn't about making a, a big play and kind of a momentum-shifting play in the spe- in special teams. Because you have L.D. Brown and Landon Wolf, who I think are very serviceable. I'm not trying to knock any of the ability of any guys on kick and punt return, but to not put your one of your fastest guys, one of the fastest guys in the conference back there is a really interesting decision. Yeah, we used to have such dangerous and amazing return guys. I don't, I don't feel like our best, fastest, most dynamic athletes have been returning punts or kickoffs in a while. No, I know. And, I mean, uh, on the punt returners, Dylan Stoner, uh, he's listed one. I imagine we'll see Tylen Wallace quite a bit as well. He's listed at the two deep. But that tells me, if you have Dylan Stoner, who's a great athlete out of the slot, but that tells me he's just content with a fair catch and a sure-handed guy there to just take the field position. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm the, one of the biggest fans of, of Dylan Stoner. I think he's going to be really, really good this year. I get get ready for it. But I would rather see Tyron Johnson um, back there returning kickoffs and punts. I would, I would rather see Chuba if he's as dynamic and fast as Gundy has praised him to be. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely an interesting thing, but it kind of tells me how cautious he wants to be, which I'm fine with to a certain extent. But at the same time, to ha- having that sort of game-changing speed is not something you find very often. I mean, you saw obviously what Tyree Hill did in Bedlam. I mean, to me, that I mean that completely changed the direction of the program <laughs> in a certain in a sense to just have, you know, that really kind of turned the last three years. Yeah, let's just hope that special teams overall are vastly improved this season. Oh, God, that was so painful last year. <laughs> it was so painful. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I think that's we're going to wrap up there. And then moving on to preview the game on Thursday against FCS Missouri State. Um, Kate and Dustin broke the game down and broke down Missouri State about three weeks ago. If you want to go back and listen, it's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud, so you're more than welcome to go and listen. But we're not going to beat a dead horse or try and just be too repetitive compared to what or with what Dustin and Kate did a few weeks ago. So we're really just going to talk about what we're interested to see, what we're excited to see on Thursday night for Oklahoma State. So what what are you looking forward to see, Philip? The defense. Like, I know the talk has been about quarterback, and this isn't a knock on Taylor Cornelius at all or seeing Chuba for the first time on the field. 
I'm so interested in Jim Null's 425 scheme and what it's going to look like. We've had Ben Don't Break for so long. Just to see something different excites me. Um, I, I know a lot of people are saying, and I have been too, it's going to be a boomer bust style of defense, and Oklahoma State fans better get ready for it. It's what you've been asking for is to not have Ben Don't Break. You got your wish. I got my wish as well. I just hope you're ready for, for something that's going to look very different, both positively and negatively. Absolutely. I mean, there's enough speed there that we're going to see some probably some pretty fantastic defensive plays. But then there are going to be times where there's going to be an absolute break, and we're going to see 66-yard bomb multiple times, a giant rush through the middle. It, there's going to be a lot of broken plays this year, but a lot of that is just this team maybe not yet is ready for this style of defense. I mean, they, they, they're so used to Glenn Spencer's defense, you know, and maybe this is also going to be how the recruiting plays into this as well. Even last year, Duke and Baylor played, and Baylor obviously didn't win. They won one game, but Baylor still had a couple of big touchdown passes against Duke. That's the kind of thing, especially in the Big 12, you're just going to have to get over is that occasionally there's going to be a 65-yard bomb. But you know what? You're going to get the ball back quickly. And that's part of what this defense is designed to do is to get the offense to ball more often. Now, I went back and compared uh, how many times the defense was on the field versus the offense uh, the past few years. And the, the possessions were almost the same. Like there really wasn't. You'd think with the way Oklahoma State's offense scored so quickly that there would be more chances for them to do so. But because of that bendo break, because they give up so many – nine, ten play drives to, to the opposing offenses, they didn't get as many opportunities as they should. So, in theory, this defensive scheme is going to, even if you give up a big play, you're either going to shut them down quick, or you're going to give up a big play, but the offense is going to get back on the field. And with as good as Oklahoma State's offense is consistently, giving your offense the ball more times is going to help you win more games. Absolutely, especially in a conference that's based on speed, uh, getting the ball back as soon as you possibly can, you know, in shootout games where people want to say that there isn't defense played, the offense is just better. So, you know, there are going to be times where Oklahoma State is just going to have to maybe concede a long play just so they can get the ball back. And the offense, I think, is good enough, even not having Mason Rudolph, James Washington, to work. They're going to be able to put up points and score. I'm not concerned about that whatsoever. No, the offense is going to be fine. And then it, it always is, um, especially if they've got – if the offensive line problems are finally fixed, the offense is going to be fine. Absolutely. And I think the thing I'm, you know, this is going to be kind of beating a dead horse to a certain extent of what I'm excited to see. I want to see how many quarterbacks Oklahoma State rolls out there. You know, obviously you see the depth chart and you have Taylor Cornelius being the starter, and I think that think that he'll, he is serviceable and he's going to do well this season. And then you have Drew Brown or Spencer Sanders, which tells me either they are neck and neck or they still want to play Spencer Sanders. So I wonder how much time he'll play, if at all. Obviously, with this new redshirt rule, I think they'll maybe we'll try and throw him into a game or two, see how it goes. I don't expect him to become the starter by the end of the season. I think having a guy like Drew Brown is a great insurance policy for if uh, Taylor Cornelius either gets hurt or isn't as productive as maybe everyone thought he was going to be. So I think I... It's a great way to not have to just throw out a, a true freshman out there, as talented as he is, you know, in a situation where he probably is not ready. Yeah, I've, I've been saying all along, the dream scenario for Oklahoma State this year 
is that Taylor Cornelius stays healthy through the entire season, and they have a nice year. He plays well enough. He never loses the job. And the season ends with Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders not having appeared in more than four games each so that both can redshirt and come back next year. Because if you look at the quarterback depth chart behind these three, it's not good. Right. Even if Spencer is great, you need a backup who's decent. It would be really good if you're 1-2 with Spencer Sanders and Drew Brown next year so they had time to bring another quarterback in or develop another quarterback and get one ready to go to be a backup or a replacement for Spencer eventually. Because behind those three, it is not pretty. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's fascinating that even it's not just the report that Oklahoma State is willing to redshirt Drew Brown if necessary. He's even said that he would be willing to do that, which tells me how much he's bought into this program in a short time that he's been here. I think that's fascinating. You don't see that from grad transfers very often, if at all. No, and it's it's also that he wants to start, but he wants to play. Yeah, and if he knows what if he knows he's not going to get to play this year, why not redshirt and have a chance to start next year? If I'm if that that would be the mindset I have. Yeah, absolutely. I, if I know I I don't want to just be the backup and be the backup for the year and, and that's the rest of my career. Like, if you need to redshirt me and give me another shot to win the job next year then so be it. Do it. I want to start. I came here to play, and I came here to start. Whatever i got to do to do that, and if that means trying for next year, I'll do what you need me to do this year and try and come back for 2019. And I'm perfectly good with that. And that gives another year of Spencer Sanders, you know, can sit and keep learning. And can you imagine him as a redshirt sophomore starting here, sitting behind, sitting for two years behind two pretty darn good quarterbacks in this system? I mean, if he's as good as he's advertised, then it'll it'll be a lot of fun and really good to have him. It will be. I'm I'm interested to see what happens. I imagine just based on the opponent, we'll probably end up seeing all three. The way I kind of look at it, I think Cornelius will play the full half and probably a series or two into the third, and then we'll see Drew Brown probably until about you know a third of the way through the fourth, and then you probably give Sanders the rest of the way if that's how they do it. That's kind of how I envision it happening. I don't think they give him more than about two series. Just kind of get his feet wet, see what happens. Yeah, my only concern is I would hate to burn one of those four games you get as a red to use as a redshirt year and burn it for both of them in Missouri State and then need them later. That's fair. Yeah, that that's a like, completely fair point. If to you're that. up thirty five to seven and after three, just put in wood tea. <laughs> I don't care. That, like, that works too. Game, <laughs> it's not gonna hurt you. That's a good point. All right, so what kind of uh, predictions do you have for the game, like score-wise, uniform, things like that? Like, you know, just kind of the fun little stuff, you know, leading up to the game. All right. Um, I don't remember what I submitted for the roundtable, so I'm going to tell you generally what I think. And something around 42 to, to 14, um, I think Missouri State's going to have a nice, long 50s. 40, 50-yard touchdown pass, and all Oklahoma State fans are going to lose their mind on Twitter and immediately hate the defense and want to know what the heck we're doing. Um, but I, I think 42 points, I think they're fairly conservative. I think they run up a nice halftime score, and and the defense does enough to keep Missouri State from getting more than 14. I think it's an early score for Missouri State, a late score for Missouri State, uh, and that's about it. Uniform-wise, you know, the last two years in a row, they've opened at home and gone white, orange, white. I don't see that pattern breaking, so I'm going to go with white, orange, white. Um, I'm, I'm not going to try and guess the helmet because there's absolutely no way to. So I'm going to tell you the helmet I would love to see would be white helmet, black face mask, Phantom Pete, and the orange, black, orange stripe 
down the helmet. Yeah, we talked about this off air, and you said it again. Yeah, I'd still pass out if I saw that helmet. Oh, this just sounds. Uh, the dream helmet is white helmet, black face mask, fan and pete, chrome stripe with black jersey, white pants. Yeah, fan me, please. My my goodness, that <laughs> would be amazing. I I would I would I I don't think I I I'd pass out and wake up when the game was over. Right. <laughs> no kidding, right? All right, so what I have is I said 52-21. Oklahoma State obviously winning. Um, I think they put up a pretty good amount of, you know, in the first half. I think, like you mentioned, I think there'll be probably one long touchdown for Missouri State in the first half and then probably two garbage time with the two and th- twos and threes in for Oklahoma State. You know, one, maybe two. I don't, I don't foresee this game really being close. Um, I think Cornelius does well. I think we see a lot from Justice Hill. I don't think, like like you said as well, I think we'll see a lot of pretty vanilla offense, but I think that vanilla offense will be enough to put up 49-plus. Yeah. I, I will be intrigued to see if they do try anything unique and interesting just to just to try it out on the field. Uh, you know, they've got Bob Stitt, who's an offensive analyst for them now. He used to be the offensive coordinator, or the, used to coach at Montana. He's got some really fun stuff that he does, and I'm I would put a large amount of money on that some of that's going to be part of Oklahoma State's offense this year, and I can't wait to see it. I can't. I am salivating at the idea of seeing that at OSU. Yeah, that that will be exciting to see a little bit of a you know a little bit of a wrinkle on Mike Yurcich's offense. I would be I'm very excited to see what kind of stuff happens there. That um, just to make I mean that offense is already dynamic enough without even. You know, with some of that vanilla style of offense, you know, with just the talent that's there, I, I'm interested to see what kind of stuff they can add that would make it even more exciting. So then, for the uniform, I said white, orange, white as well. I think they, I don't think they're gonna stray from having that. But I said the badge helmet with the bandana stripe that we saw a couple times last year. I think that's a pretty nice look. It's pretty basic. They've kind of done that the last few years, so I'm not too concerned seeing anything different. It's hard to guess the helmet because they've come up with so many different combinations. Like between the face mask, which logo they used, and what striking pattern they use. Like it's so hard to guess helmet. It you is. Just, you just, if you get white or black right, they just call yourself a winner. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much it at that point. <laughs> but man, they do some fun stuff. They do. It, it makes it keeps things interesting. It keeps things fun. Uh, and they didn't. And they still haven't gone off the deep end with some ridiculous uniforms like Oregon has. So uh, Maryland. <clears throat> Uh, Mar- Maryland, yeah, I was trying to stick with Nike schools, but yeah, Maryland's are just an atrocity on humanity, so, you know. It, <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah. So, Philip came up with a couple of prop bets for us to do, just little fun stuff, not, you know, anything, not anything Vegas has done, no gambling. We don't condone yeah. gambling, we, do, we don't condone right. it, but you can still do it, that's fine. It's legal. It is, it is. But I'm, I'm also a poor college student, so I can't afford oh, it. get off your high horse. <laughs> Uh, that's fair. Yeah, uh, drink. Don't talk anything about gambling. <laughs> All right, what you got for us? All right. First up, over under two and a half quarterbacks start a game. Start the season. I'll, yeah, I'll ha- start. I will hammer the under on that. I think if anybody starts besides Cornelius, it's going to be Brown. I don't. I don't foresee them throwing out Sanders unless it's an absolute necessity or we're in a dire situation. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm just, you know, if things go sideways, there's always the potential. If you get injuries, there's always the potential. You know, that that period between Whedon and Rudolph was 
a mess with injuries and, and swap, swapping quarterbacks in and out. I don't think they do more than two, but there's always the chance. There, there is always the chance, but I, I would rather. I, I think the the most likely scenario is Cornelius, and if he gets hurt or is struggling, then I think they go to Brown with a little more game experience. Fair, fair. Okay. Um, okay. Over under uh, two and a half quarters before OSU fans completely lose their mind on Twitter and hate Jim Knowles' 4-2-5 defense. Yeah, over, uh, I'll take the under on that. Uh, quite <laughs> frankly, because, you know, it's going to happen early on, I think. I don't think, you know, I think by the third quarter, they'll probably have it somewhat figured out, you know, at least communication-wise. Uh, early on, yeah, first, I, I think within the first three possessions for Missouri State, they're going to have some long, kind of fluky touchdown, you know, with just a miscommunication in the secondary and everyone's going to lose their mind and say, why do we get rid of Glenn Spencer, to which everyone hated, did not like him anyways. Uh, it's going to be an interesting time to kind of scroll through your timeline at halftime there. I mean, between a Missouri State team that last year put up like 40 on Missouri and a, a defensive style where you're going to give up some big plays, it's going to happen with Missouri State early, and fans are going to lose it. I'll take the under as well. I think it happens before halftime before they've really got everything figured out and are up to game speed. Um, and it's going to be hilarious to watch, and I'm just going to sit back and laugh at it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, who has more touchdowns on the ground in game one? Justice Hill or Taylor Cornelius? You know, his running ability is really fascinating. Like, it's not something you'd expect from a tall, lanky quarterback like that, but he can move. And I think they'll utilize that zone read quite a bit, but I still got to go with Justice Hill. I don't know if Hill gets enough carries in this game also to true. have a lot of touchdowns. I, I think he gets carries early, but I think with the depth you have and the desire to play Chuba, I don't think Justice sees the field in the second half because there's no reason for him. Right. right. Um, I think he gets a, I think he gets 100 yards, he gets a touchdown, maybe two, and his day is done. Whereas I can see Cornelius playing three quarters of the game just because they want to make sure he feels good and has had enough in-game action to have full command of the offense and the team and if that's the case I can see him getting two or three now I think they'll throw more if Justice gets one I think it's Cornelius if it's two I think it's a tie but I think Cornelius can nab a couple TDs on the ground okay I can see that now so all right, that's all I got. We can do some more next week, but for this week, that that feels good. Sounds good. I feel like that's a good segment for us to have. I think that would be some, just just a little fun stuff to kind of think about with the game, besides just doing like over under and spread and all that. Yeah, I don't I don't care about spread. Spreads for hardcore gamblers. I like fun things. That's fair. Um, is there so one last thing before we wrap up here? Is there one thing from the team that you absolutely want to see, like dream scenario type stuff? <sighs> I want to see interceptions. I want to see turnovers forced. Uh, I want to see this team get back to that, and I want to see if that's still as important in Jim Knowles' defense scheme as it was in Glenn Spencer's because the whole bend-don't-break, they really, 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 really pushed forcing turnovers. It was an integral part of the defense. I don't know if I hear them talk about it as much with Jim Knowles' defense as I did with Glenn Spencer's. So I'm curious if 
that's still something that they put a ton of emphasis on, and I hope it is, and I hope I still see it, and they get back to it. No, I think that's a great thing to think about because, I mean, obviously in the Big 12, every offensive possession counts because obviously every team's putting up 30-plus for the most part every game. So if you, you know, you can get those two extra possessions, you could win by that many, just that quick. So I would love to see Oklahoma State try and wreak some havoc and force turnovers and do make the offense uncomfortable. I think that's the only way that they can really truly succeed, early on at least, with this defense. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to watch. What about you? All right, so what I have is the ultimate uh, you will score every, uh, every time that this offense is out on the field. It won't happen. I want it to happen. I think it would be fascinating. If you recall a couple years ago when – Texas had the 18-wheeler package with Tyrone Swoops. They did a little two-quarterback system with him and Shane Bouchelle. I'd like to see Oklahoma State do something similar, so picture this. You have cowboy or quarterback turned cowboy back 6'7", 260 Jelani Woods with pick your cowboy backs and J.D. King in the red zone in like a little diamond formation. Okay. And I feel like if you try and run a zone read and uh, – Jelani Woods keeps the ball. Uh, I don't foresee many safeties in this league trying to tackle a 6'7", 260-pound man running full speed. Man, that would be fun to watch. That would be fascinating. (laughs) It's one of those, I think, they would score 100% of the time because then you also have the the ability that he can throw. (laughs) Yeah, that would be be really interesting to see um, them utilize him in that way. I, I think it would be fascinating just to see, like I said, you or if you're on like the six-inch line, give it to one of the, the cowboy backs and just let him bowling ball his way in. There are so many different options with that. I think it would. I think it would be a fun thing to do. They, like I said, they'll never do it, but I would just absolutely lose my mind and like I would pass out with like you would pass out with that uniform. Wake up at the end of, at the end of the game. That's how I. That's what would happen for me. You, you bring him up, and we didn't talk about it, but I am really interested to see. If the Cowboy backs are used more this season than they were last, they didn't need them as much last year, and, I, and they didn't have a guy they felt great about um, as a pass catcher. So I'm really curious how much more the Cowboy backs are used this season because I I like tight ends, um, and I, I like the position, and I like to watch them play. And you know, you look at OU and the way they utilize Mark Andrews and mm-hmm. that guy. You. Somehow he was always, you know, wide open, five yards clear of anybody. So I'm really curious if they can find a guy to to be a a a great cowboy back and how they're going to utilize them if they do and when they do. I know. I think it's definitely going to be something that's interesting this year because I wonder if they're going to be able to find that guy like they had with Jeremy Seaton and Blake Jarwin. Obviously, yeah. they didn't really have that last year. Britton Abbott uh, and Sione Finafeyuiaki didn't quite find that true pass catcher type out of the backfield. I wonder if we'll find out this year with uh, you know Baron Odom or you know someone like that. And then even next year, if you can look into the future with Grayson Boomer, I can see them using him kind of like that Mark Andrews. Oh, I'm I'm excited to watch Boomer when he gets to, because I don't he think he will be a good part of the offense. But I don't see him being that like H back type that they kind of use him for. I think he's definitely more of a pass catcher. So I wonder how much of the offense they'll utilize to find him, you know, a spot kind of like that Mark Andrews type. I can see him yeah. being a true tight end, and that just adds another element to the offense with already you will always have an embarrassment of Richards at wide receiver for Oklahoma State. You're going to have good running backs. He could end up being kind of a forgotten, you know, and not even in a bad way, just wide open over the middle six, eight times a game. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. All right, do you have any final thoughts for this episode? No, I'm just ready for the season to start, man. I'm no, ready I'm... to sit down on my couch for an entire Saturday and just watch football and not have to move except no, to you know, go to the bathroom. I, I'm so ready for it. I, I cannot wait for Saturday. Thursday, obviously, is going to be very exciting just to have football back in Boone Pickens Stadium, but, man, to wake up on Saturday morning, watch college game day, and then not have to do anything from 11 till the West Coast games end, I'm, I'm ready for that. To just sit and watch football, I don't care what game's on, but just for it to be back, it's, it's a great time in this country. Yes, it is. It's an American pastime. Absolutely. All right, well, that wraps, wraps up this episode of Cowboy Drive Free, the podcast. Look for an episode uh, at the end of this week after uh, the game against Missouri State, and we will wrap that up, and then we'll start getting ready for South Alabama the next week. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CowboysRFF. And Dustin, or not, wow, I'm really k right now. Philip, where can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> uh, you can find me at OKTXARPOKE, all caps until poke, and it's lowercase O-K-E. Uh, you can also, if you want to check out my podcast, the 1012 Podcast, you can find that at 1012 Podcast, the number 10, the number 12, the word podcast. All right, and then you can find me on Twitter at JT Penfield, and then look for uh, and stay plugged in with Cowboys Drive for free this week. We'll have game coverage leading up all the way until recap after the game on Thursday night. Uh, we will see everyone next week. <laughs>